Hey, this is John Dillenbeck from the Open Mic Show, and the mic is always on every fourth Saturday of every month from 4 to 6. We're bringing on some of the great local musicians and poets to perform live in the studio, everything from rock to bluegrass to classical. So join us every fourth Saturday from 4 to 6 right here on WERU 89.9 in Blue Hill and 102.9 in Bangor, streaming online at WERU.org. Support for Talk of the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, for 25 years partnering with donors and nonprofits and communities statewide to strengthen Maine through grants and scholarships. On the web at maincf.org. It's almost 10.01, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org. Talk of the Towns with host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine, with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine, and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio, and you who are listening, create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. And today we're going to talk about eating and growing local in Maine. We have some guests in the studio um, who can help us with that topic. And, of course, we hope you'll call in with your questions and comments and your experience about eating local or growing local here in Maine. I'm happy to welcome to the studio Fran Clemenson. Fran is um, the education coordinator of the Belfast uh, Co-op. And um, she was part of the organizers for the Eat Local Challenge in Belfast. Welcome to you, Fran. Thank you. It's and great to be here. You've brought um, your three sons um, who are homeschooled, and they have some experience about eating local. Yes, they do. Um, we have Clayton, who's uh, f- almost 14, William, who's nine, and Timothy, who's six years old. Great. Well, we'll bring them into the conversation and ask them some questions about eating local in a little, in a little while. Okay. Great. We also have Chrissy Fowler with us. Uh, Chrissy is um, well-known, I'm sure, to WERU listeners as the caller for All Comers Band and, and organizer for Belfast Flying Shoes. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Chrissy. It's great to be here. Great. And also by phone, we have Fran, uh, Erica Buswell. Erica is what, part of the management team at the Belfast Co-op. Welcome to you, Erica. Good morning. Thanks for being with us. Erica, why don't we start with you? Um, How did you get started um, with uh, this Eat Local Challenge and and your role there at the Belfast Co-op? Sure. Um, Well, the management team, along with our education coordinator, decided we sort of needed to expand our outreach programs here at the Co-op, and we came up with this idea that we were going to sponsor a book club um, that addresses issues of food politics sort of throughout the process of reading many, many, many different books, including Michael Pollan's Omnivore's Dilemma, um, we were kind of getting bummed out <laughs> by the message out there um, that food policies are really making it hard for um, small farmers to be successful in their work. Mm. So we wanted to do something that would be empowering for our community and really encourage people to think about the relationships between us 
and our food and the people that we share eating with. So we came up with this idea that an Eat Local Challenge would really bring our community together to rally around local food and help us to do something sustainable in sort of this larger picture. Fran, uh, let's pick up with you. Um, how did you um, get involved? You were involved in, in the uh, book club and, and so on. How did you uh, come to think about an Eat Local Challenge? Well, um, like Erica says, we were, we were all getting a little bummed out, and, um, and the folks in our group um, were murmuring about how we could be proactive um, with bringing awareness around local food to our community. And, um, <clears throat> well, in, in Michael Pollan's book, he mentioned um, an Eat Local Challenge, and um, there are Eat Local Challenges going on, or have been going on around the country um, for the past few years. So, um, well, we decided to do it, and it wasn't hard to find the information for starting one because you can just go online and um, Google Eat Local Challenge and come up with all kinds of great websites to give you the information you need to help you set up your own local challenge. Mm. We've come quite a long way um, from where it used to be Maine fed Maine, and we've had programs on the, that topic um, in the past, and there wasn't any thought that you wouldn't be able to eat local because that's where all the food came from. So we've come quite a distance. Um, as part of the, the Belfast Co-op, um, have you struggled with, with those kinds of policies in terms of what you have in the store as well? Is that part of the dilemma, <laughs> the omnivore's dilemma, so to speak, that you came up with? Um, is is it a challenge to find and, and, and place local foods before customers at the store? It, it is. It's it's very difficult. Um, it, there, we could have so much more local food available to people if we had a really good local uh, food infrastructure in place. As far as the um, the the growing, the storing. Well, although I think there are plenty of farmers out there willing right. to grow it, I think our, part of our big problem is storing it, um, processing the food, as in, um, you know, freezing it, um, making it so it lasts throughout the whole year, um, and then distributing it. Mm. Uh, so it's not available. Erica, how, what would you say about that um, question of getting food um, in, in front of people so they have a choice of eating local? Yeah, I would agree with Fran that infrastructure is, is one of the biggest problems because we see a huge consumer demand here in our store and a larger momentum, I think, really throughout the country for eating locally. So the consumers are already on board with idea, this idea. And yes, the farmers are certainly willing to grow it as well. And the infrastructure is just one of the major hurdles that we need to get over. Mm. So what else did you find in your reading? And, and Chrissy, um, did you, were you part of the, the reading group? Is that how you got involved? Yeah. But I was part of the reading group. I'm also a co-op member. Mm -hmm. And I am part of the Unitarian Church in Belfast, and they have a Green Sanctuary Committee that's really involved with things like um, eating locally and reducing carbon footprints and trying to make, um, trying to help the congregants become more, uh, a little more green, mm. so to speak. And um, I mean, as Fran said, there's a whole momentum around it. So Barbara Kingsolver's book, Animal, Vegetable, and Miracle was another piece of the puzzle. Just many of us in the book group, although we weren't discussing that book, had read it, mm -hmm. and so that came up. And she talks a lot in the book about um, strategies and benefits um, of eating locally. Uh, and following her family's journey through it reminded me a lot of uh, um, gardening and eating food out of the garden uh, as a kid and then also as an adult as well. 
and being part of CSAs. And just really, as Fran said, the group wanted to do something. It became clear that we were discouraged by the messages that we were getting about the infrastructure of food policy in our country and the world. And we really felt that we wanted to, rather than wallow in the discouragement, <laughs> wanted to try and do something proactive to um, to get it out there. And it was it's been really exciting, the two challenges in November and then also in March, just watching the way that um, those grew and, tra and kind of transformed and, and the different flavors that they each had has been really great. And as Erica said, there's definitely consumer support for mm. eating locally. Mm. So how did you actually uh, do it? You, you started with um, your connection at the Belfast Co-op, but it sounds like you also got the Unitarian Church involved. Who else were involved as kind of sponsors of the Eat Local Challenge? Um, Logan Perkins of Food for Maine's Future was also participating in our book discussion group. And, um, and, and she really, act it was actually the person who suggested this show, so we can give her, give her <laughs> that credit. And she's on her way to Ottawa in Canada to talk about some farm worker rights, I think, today. So yeah. she couldn't be with us. But So you got, um, Logan was involved. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And WERU was involved, is that right? Yes, that's yeah. right. Part yep. of that. So how did, how did the, the, the November Eat Local Challenge come together? That's kind of, you know, it's, it's probably a little easier to think about an Eat Local Challenge in November. At the end of the growing season, people's larders were probably full of garden stuff. What what was that like? How was it? How was it? Um, uh, what was your experience with that? It's, I mean, it's definitely the time of year where there's a lot of bounty, mm. and so really, we the four of us met, Erica and Fran and Logan and I met and did a lot of brainstorming, talked with people that we knew, um, and then got resources, as Fran said, on the internet, and then um, just brainstormed a bunch of things. How did we want to structure it? What kinds of things were we hoping that people might do to get involved? And um, we just really did it, I guess. <laughs> Great. So um, the, your um, uh, website or the website that talks about the Equal Challenge had lots of different suggestions for families and people to think about. What were some of those things that you suggested that they, they do um, in terms of Eat Local? Um, it, was, it was everything from menu planning, you know, um, buying a little bit that was local. So it wasn't necessarily that they, they had to go completely local. It was just to kind of experiment with the idea. Is that right? Well, the, the November challenge, <clears throat> we, were, we were pretty strict with that. We wanted people to eat 100% okay. main-grown meal. And right, just the, one meal. Just and one we meal. We weren't talking about the whole month because we, mm -hmm. we felt like even for – we eat quite a lot locally. And, and um, it's pretty hardcore to think about going 100%. There are people who do it, and they're incredibly inspiring, people in our community that do that. Um, that pretty much eat 100% locally. But we didn't want to scare off people who might just be experimenting with it and dabbling and um, really wanted to give people a, ch a feeling that they could do it. Mm. So we thought, okay, if you can make one meal in the month that's totally, completely 100% main sourced, that would be a good challenge. Mm. Erica, do you remember anything about the November challenge that, um, that you were suggesting to, for people to try? Um, well, at that time, obviously, there was... A lot of still fresh food coming out of people's gardens, and at our first Eat Local Challenge celebration dinner, we had really an enormous spread of food, ranging from potatoes to meats to a beautiful organic um, free-range turkey, um, beans, vegetables of all sorts, greens at that time, um, and it was really important for us to be able to close the challenge with this idea of celebration and celebrating the harvest because not only did we want this to be a challenge for people to see what they could do to eat local, but also an opportunity to bring awareness 
to the fact that we have a ton of great local food in our community, and we should really be celebrating our ability to eat that local food as well as the people who grow that local food. So you, you um, ended the month with a celebration. What were some of the things that you observed happening um, in the community as a result of the local challenge in November? And then we'll turn to your experience in March. Um, let's uh, stay with you, um, Erica. Erica Buswell is the uh, part of the management team of Belfast Co-op and one of the organizers for the Eat Local Challenge um, starting back in November. So, Erica, what were some of the things that led up to the celebration dinner? Well, we had asked folks to um, participate in the challenge by coming into the co-op and writing down the menu of the meal that they had eaten so that we could post it on our front window. We had this great idea that, you know, we'll have this visual representation where everyone can see everyone else eating together in the community, and it'll be this great inspiring thing for all of us. And we weren't really sure anyone was participating in the challenge because <laughs> not a lot of people were bringing in their menus. Mm. So we sort of approached our celebration dinner and we're like, well, is anyone going to show up? Um, and we were so surprised at the turnout that we got there because there was well over 100 people who had all made one potluck dish that was 100% local, and we had the greatest time. It's <laughs> great. Farmers there, um, people from the UU church, people from the store, people who just wandered off of the street because they heard this great party happening. <laughs> That's great. Contra dancing. And it really was truly a celebration. Great. Well, um, somebody bring us up to the March challenge. Um, March is a little more difficult time to think about eating local. Um, uh, Fran, can you kind of bring us up to where you where you came to in terms of the March challenge? Yes. Um, <clears throat> our group, our little group, uh, Chrissy, Logan, um, Erica, and myself got together again and and we thought we'd go a little easier on people for the March challenge. We decided that well, you know, we did our really strict challenge in November, and let's see what happens if we um, if we honor everybody who's participating in e- eating local on different levels. So we we made it a, a multi-level challenge where you you could eat a hundred percent main local um, meal, or um, you could go all the way down to just including one um, one ingredient in your meal as a main ingredient, and um, or or a percent or take the whole month and and have, eat 10% local food for the whole month of, of March. So we let sort of let people create their own challenge. And, um, I, and I, I felt like there was a lot more participation. And I think it was because we, we opened it up that way. Yeah, yeah. I think that the, it, I think the, definitely the visual appearance of the participation was much greater in terms of the challenge itself during the month. And I think part of that was that we changed our vehicle for presenting things. We... We had a little bit of a different um, setup, and it was in a different place. It was really visible at the co-op, and so you could see there was a tree with apples on it where people would write what they had made, and you could just see it from day to day changing, which was exciting, and all sorts of people that we didn't even know, so that was even more exciting too. And and I also think the accessibility made a difference and the fact that we'd done it in November, and so people were already kind of thinking along those terms. It wasn't something totally new for our community. Mm. Erica, what do you recall about the last month and leading uh, the, 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 the Eat Local Challenge in March? Uh, I sort of, we developed an awareness that local foods really come largely unprocessed and they require a lot of prepping and cooking time. Especially in March, what you've got in your larders are largely dried foods like beans. Um, and beans take a long time to cook. So we sort of I found myself, anyway, looking at all of the nice, 
convenience foods that we had throughout the store at the end of a long day and saying, do I really want to go home and <laughs> make this meal from scratch when, mm. you know, I can get all the, these already prepared foods available to me that don't contain local ingredients but aren't going to take a lot of my time to cook. Um, and I think we were able to tie that back into sort of the federal food policies in this country um, that create these incredible surpluses because they're rewarding large-scale producers. And so with all this corn and all these soybeans in our food infrastructure, we need to find a way of processing them in a way that they can get easily and quickly into the consumer's mouths. So eating local in March was challenging because we had to rely a lot on what was in storage, and those were foods that needed a lot of cooking at that mm. point. So what what you seems like you found was kind of a reflection on again that distant how far we've come as a society from the time in Maine when there wasn't any question of thinking uh, or uh, about eating local it was it was part of one's lifestyle if you could use that word mm-hmm. um to a, a situation where time has sped up um people's lives are more complicated and we have taken sometimes the easier path mm-hmm. um not only in our, our larger scale food policies but our individual family policies so the march challenge probably brought that out a little bit more it sure did mm-hmm. um and we we realized too that there really aren't a lot of people that know how to cook whole foods i mean there are many people that cook from scratch in our community but there is sort of a larger cultural problem of, of people not knowing how to cook anymore. Mm. And that became apparent, I think, during our March Eat Local Challenge as well. Mm. So let's turn the, to Chrissy, you had something to oh, add? Oh, I just wanted to add one thing about the, for me about the March Challenge was it became clear, and, and Barbara Kingsolver brings this up in her book too, that you know all through the summer when this huge bounty is out there of food, she was intently stocking up and preparing for winter. So I found myself, for the March Challenge, really going to the freezer and the and the canned goods and so grabbing you know when i'd been canning my tomato sauce and making pasta sauce uh in the in the fall i made some that was totally local just because of i was in that mode mm-hmm. and that really served me well because then i could use that sauce i could haul it out and count that as a local product because it was totally local mm-hmm. or grabbing the berries that i'd put up from picking mm-hmm. you know in bucksport mm-hmm. um or Grabbing a, a container of the the hamburger from the the uh, the cow across the street, and so um, it, it it increased my awareness of how much advanced preparation. You know, as Erica said, just for a particular meal, it might require more preparation. But even the things that were for me convenience foods, like pulling some hamburger out to make a burger. Um, that had required previous preparation, too. Right. And I think that sometimes we get out of that habit, and it's great to be in the habit. You, have a, you had a, a blog that you used, and I just wanted to read a part of that. Here's a comment from Steve Hode from Emma's Family Farm in Windsor. He said, I've been reflecting on the local food issue and specifically the local challenge. You may think it's harder to have a late winter challenge than it is in summer, and you're right. However, as part of eating local, we must address food security as an early planning initiative. Namely, what will we do to ensure the security of our foods as well as the securing of our food? And then he goes on to talk about um, their choice um, at Emma's Family Farm um, to um, concentrate on canning um, as a way to put food by. It was the traditional way to do that. And then, as you say, you can pull a a jar off the shelf and you know that's local and and it's relatively um, easy to then prepare that food. 
Well, uh, let's uh, remind our listeners that they can participate um, in this morning's uh, call-in program, Talk of the Towns. We're talking about eating and growing local in Maine. We have Fran Clemenson and her sons, Clayton, Timmy, and Willie, um, with us here in the studio. We have Chrissy Fowler here in the studio and Erica Buswell by phone. They were the organizers of uh, the Eat Local Challenge in Belfast, and a little later on we'll talk with a local farmer. But maybe we can uh, find out from um, uh, Fran's sons what their experience was. Do you remember back in November or here in March what it was like to um, be thinking about eating local? Um, Clayton, what, what, what do you remember about the, the idea that your mom was saying, oh, we're going to eat local? <laughs> um, well, it, it was, I don't know. Did it you was, notice any change in terms of you know, you know, what you normally ate and, and the times during the Eat Local Challenge? Well, we do already eat a lot of local food because we have our garden and then our chickens mm. and um, stuff like that. But it was definitely a change and um, – and so we couldn't have things like chocolate for right, one, <laughs> right? And stuff like that. And great. So, so you had to really think about the things that were coming from far, far away that you enjoy, and say, mm-hmm. "Oh, for right now, I'm going to give those up." Yeah. 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 Was that hard? Um, it wasn't really that hard. Uh-huh. Yeah. How about the other two boys? Any thoughts about what it was like? Do you remember any any particular meal that you um, that you liked? about eating local? Speak right into that microphone. Don't be afraid. What, what do you remember about that uh, a meal that you had that was eating local? Did it come out of your garden? Usually it did. Uh-huh. But I can't really remember it too well. It was a pretty long time uh-huh. ago. It was a long time ago, yeah. Um, but you help in the garden, I bet. What kinds yeah. of things do you do in the garden? Well, plants. Uh-huh. Things and... And weed things? Yeah. <laughs> and then pick them. Uh-huh. That's great. How about preparing the food? Do you get a hand in that in terms of, of uh, cutting things up or um, getting things ready to put in the oven? Yeah. Yeah? Great. Great. How about you? Do you remember anything about the Eat Local Challenge? Um, I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> well, great. If you think of something, just kind of give me a signal. And, uh, yeah, Clayton? Also, um, we made really good egg rolls. That was really surprising. Really? Because, I mean, you always think of it as a foreign uh-huh. food, basically. So how do you make an egg roll? I don't think I know how to make an egg roll. What do you do? Um, well, what, what did we do for the wrap? Was it just like a... We made um, a homemade... <clears throat> it's just like making a noodle, the egg roll wrapper. So you can use a noodle recipe and just roll it thin. And what do you mm. put in it? Um, just all sorts of vegetables uh-huh. and... And then some of the cow that we got from across the street. Uh huh. Same cow. Yes. You must. You must be neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sirloin and uh-huh. cow's pal. Uh huh. Well, that's good. I mean, to th- to think about, you had to plan ahead if you wanted to eat local there. You had to have a cow, and then you had to kill the cow, and then you had to cut it up and and make um, you know meals out of that. So that's that's certainly the eat local challenge that a lot of people have not had to do. Um, they're used to going to the supermarket and buying what's ever there. So what, what else do you, any of you remember about the Eat Local um, Challenge, um, either, in, as uh, Chrissy said, um, you know, thinking about it in advance or um, you know, the idea of things aren't as convenient um, or that you're not able to eat everything that you're used to eating, like chocolate? Clayton, um, anything else? Well, 
This year we ran out of applesauce, which was kind of annoying.、Mm-hmm. And so,、um, and this gonna, is applesauce that you had made yourselves yes, in the past, yes, and, and you'd run out of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're going to、um, try to make a lot more and can a lot more this year. Okay. And that's going to be really fun. We're going to hopefully have some big canning parties. Great.、Mm-hmm. Great. So,、um, you know, you're homeschooled.、Yes. Um, do you have other homeschoolers that,、um, that you kind of hang out with at, at times?、Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do they also try to eat local? Yeah.、Mm-hmm. And so they might be part of that canning party as well? Yeah, probably. Great. Great.、Mm-hmm. And do you, do you go to a local orchard to get your food, or do you have apple trees yourself? Well, the apple trees are sort of wild. They're wild apples, okay. Yeah. Yep. So we go kayaking and then we pick a bunch of apples and bring them back. Great. Sometimes I go cranberry picking in the same way. I get in my kayak and go to a place where I know that has cranberries. So that's a good, good idea. So、um, picking up apples that are kind of wild, applesauce is a great way to use those because you don't have to have a pretty looking apple. You're going to have an apple that's going into sauce. Yeah. 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 Great.、They're, Anything? Go ahead. The、um, apples, I think they were.、Uh, what were they? Oh, yeah, gold rushes. Uh huh. But they're really good green. Uh huh. Great. And.、Yeah. Great. So, if you were, if you were to、um, tell a family that hadn't done an Eat Local challenge about what was important about it, why it was important to try to eat local, do you have any thoughts that you could pass on to them,、um, people who might be listening that, that might not have even heard about an Eat Local challenge? What, why do you think it's good to eat local? Then the. The、um, food stays in the economy. Uh huh. I mean, the money does. Right. Yeah. And, and,、um, and then you get to know the farmers if you're buying locally. You're not buying from people who live across the planet from you.、Mm-hmm. And、um, it's also a lot fresher. It hasn't sat in a truck、yeah. or, or sometimes in a, in, a, in a boat coming across the,、mm-hmm. the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then if you're. Growing food, then you can just pick it right out of your garden a few minutes before you eat. <laughs> That's great.、Yeah. That's great. What were you going to say? You were going to say something about why it's important to eat local, cha- eat local and you might pass that on to people who haven't, haven't thought about it before. Why, do you, why did you like eating local? Well, it's a lot healthier and you don't use all that fuel for getting it across the planet.、Uh-huh. You guys are pretty smart. Well, we had.、Um, Do you have a, a, a kind of a unit or, or a course on it? Oh, Jim Merkel. Oh,、He's, Jim. Yeah. Okay. He just spoke at, at、um, the, the co op. Was it at the co op? No, the library. The library. Okay, great. And so he talked about a lot of those kinds of things. And he stayed over our house. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Three nights. Great. Well, let's remind listeners they can participate、um, in, in Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about eating and growing local in Maine.、Um, here in the studio, we had some uh, comments, uh, expert comments, I think, from、um, Clayton and Timmy and Willie、um, Clementson, along with their mom, Fran Clementson, who's、uh, the education coordinator at Belfast Co op.、Um, Erica Buswell is、uh, with us by phone, and Chrissy Fowler is here in the studio. Erica, before we let Let you go.、Um, what would you say to, to folks who are listening who might want to think about this and organizing it、um, for themselves in their own community?、Um, I would recommend that as the farmers market season gets started here, that people really make an effort to go to their local farmers market and make connections with their local growers to see if they can make arrangements to buy things in bulk、mm. and put them up or process them as they are ready and delicious and inexpensive so that they have. Plenty of things on hand to get them through the winter. 
Great. Great. And will you at the co-op be um, doing anything different as a result of your book club and then um, going through these two um, Eat Local challenges? What kinds of policies at the, at the co-op might you be thinking about? Well, we're always looking for more local producers um, to be contacting us if they have things they would like to sell here. And we're seeing more and more people that have local foods available to sell here. So we're always trying to reach out to them and um, make sure that they're welcome to contact us. And we'll also be participating in the farmer's market here in Belfast this summer um, from an educational perspective to really try to encourage folks who are patronizing the market um, to continue to support their local farmers and look to us as a resource that can help them come up with recipes or tips and tricks for eating locally throughout the year. Great, great. Well, the, it seems like um, your role as a co-op is not just to um, provide people with food, but to serve as a place where the community comes together to think and talk about these these kinds of issues. So th- thanks for doing that, and uh, thanks for joining us this morning on Talk of the Towns. Thanks for having me. Great. In a moment, we'll talk with a, a local uh, grower um, about um, the experience of, of growing locally. Um, you're tuned to Talk of the Towns. You can participate if you'd like to call us at one 866 Six two five nine three seven eight, or locally at four six nine zero five hundred. I understand that um, you can either have your dogs eat local. There's a product called Bark Wheats that's available at the Belfast Co-op, and ninety-seven percent of your um, dogs' treats could be locally grown. So you might even have a sign that that, uh, that lets you know that in your in your local uh, co-op store. Um, the experience of, of uh, buying and, and eating local is, is something that is um, going across the country. And um, we see lots of these kinds of things, as you said, um, um, Fran, by looking on the Internet. So the, the inspiration, you don't have to go too far um, to, to get this inspiration. You can kind of um, check that out or you can read books um, to do this. Anything else while we're um, kind of getting pe- pe- people on the line, anything else that you've recalled from the, the, the experience of eating local or the, or the community challenge? Um, one thing that, that I've found is, is really neat about it is um, I feel like I've made more of a inter-community connection. So just my local neighborhood, um, what are my resources? I think it's really important for people to look right in their neighborhood and think, what is our food infrastructure right in the neighborhood? What resources do we have? Um, I'm fortunate to live in a, an agricultural community, but... Um, uh, so, you know. so that notion that, that um, the pe- person that responded to your website uh, mentioned you've got to think about f- food security in the longer run. You, you know, wh- what, what resources do you have locally? Yeah, and what can you add? What little mm. pieces can you add? Can, can you go pick up a load of squash and distribute them to, to everybody in your community because you have the truck in the neighborhood? Um, in our neighborhood, we're, we're in need of a, a good root cellar, so that's something uh, I'd really right. like to talk to my right. neighbors about as a, a neighborhood root cellar. So the idea of, of ha- the, uh, the food production infrastructure, but also local infrastructure for storing food, right. and, and, and we may get to talk about community canning and those kinds of things a little later. And Great. you could have, uh, you know, five families could have one cider press. Mm-hmm. You know, you can share, you can share tools. That's right. Well, let's, we've got a couple of calls first before we go to, our, um, uh, to Mark Fulford of Teltane Farm. Um, but let's take um, a couple of calls from listeners. Go ahead with your comment or, or question, please. 
Oh, hi, Ron. Um, this is Judith from Brooksville. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Judith. Thank you. It's a great program. There's so many good ideas here. It feels very fertile. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as, a, as someone in, in a gardening neighborhood uh, who has a cat and is concerned about the stuff we feed our animals, which we know is dangerous, I uh, have had this thought, and, and I'd like to put it out there, and I'm going to implement it myself this summer, that <clears throat> we do a little fishing. We save parts, of course, from um, fowl, and I suppose beef. My cat doesn't like beef. <laughs> and and uh, start to share that, too. And also a quick idea about an alternative for cat litter. If you dry or find dried rockweed and mix it with a few leaves and some wood chips or sawdust, you have a cat litter, which is perfectly acceptable to most cats. <laughs> That's and great. it doesn't cost a thing, and it's you know, completely organic and local. <laughs> great. So not only eating local, but t- taking care of your pets locally. Yeah, the other end. <laughs> That's great. Thanks so much for your call this morning. Okay. I believe we have another call. Let's take another call. Um, welcome to Talk of the Towns. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, Ron. Um, I happen to be a single mom who relies on food stamps, mm-hmm. and I, I've been so discouraged at the products that we're not able to get with food stamps, and I feel like one way to really support the Maine's economy, possibly, I don't know how, how difficult it would be to totally revamp the whole food stamp system, but... I really believe if we could figure out a way to only allow, I mean, this is sort of radical. It might upset a few folks if we did it, but I would personally love to see where we're only able to buy, uh, with food stamps, locally grown foods. <laughs> That's great. And, and, liter- and one thing that, you know, they have changed where you can get seeds and, and food plants with food stamps now, which is really awesome. But... Um, I don't know. You know, I think we'd have a much healthier main population. At least the food stamp recipients would probably get a lot healthier if they only started, you know, were able to buy products from Maine. So I don't know. Does anyone know on the show or who, whoever we would contact to try to create that change and stop allowing food stamps to purchase, you know, chocolate and, and Coca-Cola and all this corporate mm. crap? Mm. Um, you know, not the chocolate, there's good chocolate to buy, but, you know, if we really want chocolate, we should pay cash for it. Great. You know, and, um, and just really start, I, I would love to see this happen. Great. And I would, I would be willing to, you know, back and, and, and work to try to get petitions signed to make it happen. And, um, well, let's see. Yeah. We, 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 may, we may have other callers, but I think... Uh, All right. Uh, and and I, you know, I'll put my name out there, too. If anybody wants to contact me or talk to me about maybe trying to create this, um, I'm Robin Farron, and my number is 288-0960. Um, I'd, I'd love to really start something to Great. make this happen. So thank you for the show. It's, it's fabulous. Great. Thanks, Robin, for calling. Uh, Chrissy, uh, a response to that? Is, is that something that you've thought about as well, the, the notion of f- food stamps for local food as, yeah. as well? Oh, well, one thing, I, I was in a CSA and worked on a farm in New Hampshire for a number of years, and would actually do the markets, the mm. farmer's markets, and mm. helped uh, the farmer with some of his uh, accounting things. And one incredible program, which I'm not sure we have in Maine, and that would be something to look into, Robin, is um, there's a farmer's market nutrition program where if you're on food stamps, you get quite a nice little chunky amount of 
food stamp exchange, and it's a program that is one of those great federal programs that is actually really good for the consumer and really good for the farmer. Um, it's a simple thing for the farmers to do. They just accept these certificates, mm-hmm. and then people can go and use them at farmers markets. And so they're great. getting incredibly fresh and local stuff. And I haven't seen that here locally, but so maybe a caller, or maybe a listener who's listening will know whether or not that is, or maybe Mark will know um, when we talk to him later whether that's a program here great. in Maine. But or that's certainly explore. something that w- that that I can look into and, and yeah. come back with. I do believe that Mark Fulford is on the line uh, from Teltane Farm. Uh, welcome to Talk of the Towns, Mark. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about your farm uh, to start with. Um, where are you located and, and what kinds of uh, uh, things do you do? Um, what, what kinds of things do you raise on Teltane Farm? Well, we do a lot of different things, probably more than is good for us. <laughs> Especially this time of year. Yeah, we have a few acres of mixed uh, vegetables, produce, and orchard. We grow approximately an acre of garlic um, for the garlic seed uh, businesses. And we ship that as well as go to the Common Ground Fair with that. And our local, uh, pretty much of our sole source of income has been uh, between the garlic and selling produce to the Belfast Co-op, which uh, I began that process in 79. So we've been pretty much steadily at that up until present. Mm. What kinds of changes have you seen in that period of time in terms of consumer interest in this notion of eating local? Well, people are finally really picking up uh, tremendous interest in it, although we still have um, a very strong out-of-season eating habit in our society. <laughs> right. It's, uh, it makes things a little bit more of an educational challenge at this point. And, of course, that's led me to the world of ag consulting for other farms and trying to uh, work with people on the input problem so that the output, the food itself, has you know, reflects the health of the landscape and things like so tell, t- tell us a little bit about that, that notion of, of inputs and outputs. Um, what kinds of things are you advising um, other farmers? Well, pretty much all across the board, whether you're feeding livestock or growing milling grains or growing uh, fruit and vegetables uh, or even herbs or flowers all the way down the line, a very large amount of the input costs and materials are mined and fossil fuel-derived products, whether you are organic or commercial or conventional, so that people in the consuming sector uh, really deserve to learn a lot more about that uh, because we still have a mostly linear agricultural system. We don't have a cyclical return of waste products to build our soil. And it's sort of the story of modern agriculture, whether it's uh, conventional or organic at this point. So the smaller gardener has the greatest chance of recycling the system and keeping some of that mineral and element wealth close by, whereas the larger farms are dependent, including ourselves, for minerals that are commonly mined within a 1,500 to 2,000-mile range from the home farm, trucked and shipped to Maine, and then if we're lucky, we get someone else to blend them and apply them according to the evidence of our soil tests or the behavior of our crops. So really, even in organic agriculture, we eat from a gigantic distance of mineral inputs and transportation network. Mm. So what the, what the glacier didn't do for us, we're having to do for ourselves in some ways. Yeah, well, for example, Maine is um, quite weak on phosphates, and we don't mean soluble fertilizer phosphates. We mean the natural rock phosphates, and people could use uh, <coughs> composted chicken manure or seed sea byproducts, but we're sort of weak in the fisheries industry, too, mm. 
And even though there's a, a movement to diminish the phosphate runoff because it causes algae blooms in water, which is a big problem, uh, that's why it's important to shift to something of a rock nature instead of a solubilized nature. And yet it's a tough element to get. I think our uh, all plants require it to fruit and flower and um, produce good root structure. And, you know, the, the nearest large supply of organic rock phosphates or semi-rock phosphates is Tennessee, next is Florida, and then Idaho. So we're really doing an amazing shopping job in order to build soil to keep our mid-range, even small farms going, let alone our larger ones. So most consumers don't think about that at all. Most farmers, perhaps, don't think about that at all. So, so as you talk with other farmers, are they, are they responsive to this? And, and what about consumers? Are they getting this big picture? The farmers are probably more responsive at first because it's a, a language they understand and it doesn't have to be complicated um, because they're always doing the checks and balances of, of nutrition, especially if they're uh, livestock people. Uh, but the public certainly needs to be a big, big part of this action because that will drive the interest to make some of these things more locally uh, capable and available. And uh, it pretty much boils down to soil nutrition equals human nutrition. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Well, um, the folks who organized the lo uh, Eat Local Challenge were talking about the book club um, they were part of, or the reading club, I guess, and they were discouraged by looking at some of the larger um, national policies. And one of the things they also talked about is is kind of a local infrastructure. Would you have um, some comments around either the, the larger scale policy or the, uh, the local foods infrastructure that uh, gets in our way a little bit of, of eating better local? Yes. It's a big issue because an example would be when I do soil workups and um, troubleshoot crop problems or even livestock problems for farmers since that's the food we're eating. Uh, it's very expensive to correct an imbalance that's been building over time. And one of the challenges is we, while we do have resources in the state, most of the blend plants, for example, which allow farmers to economically mix as many as 10 or 12 components to build soil, uh, being brought in from all different directions of the country, we don't really have an organic blend plant in the entire state of Maine that could switch from conventional fertilizers to organic, as an example. Mm. Uh, so there's a big challenge. So that a lot of times is sourced out of state, or the small grower is uh, somewhat um, dependent on blending it themselves, uh, whether it's in the field or in a very small way in a tarp or in a manure spreader or something like that. But the logistics of getting this um, nutritional recipe, you might say, that has to be different for each field and farm uh, is something that really should be on the front screen for consumers who are eating the, buy the end result of this work. So farmers really have quite a task on their hands. Mm. Did, you did you participate yourself in the Eat Local Challenge? Well, uh, I guess the way I participate is we just keep on trying to grow what we sell locally and... Um, inform people of how we do what we do. Um, sometimes I put on seminars because I feel like the information is that important. Mm. So the, the, the idea of, of your, you see your job not only as growing food but educating people. 
Yes. Mm. And that speaks to this notion of, of, of people knowing your farmer. And one of our young guests said that's, a, that's an important thing, knowing the farmer, and, and then the farmer can teach you about the process of, of how he or she grows um, their food, the food that you eat. That's right. In fact, mm-hmm. the more the consumers know the farmer who they're really depending on, the better we'll all be off. Mm. What's, what's your hope for the future, Mark? Um, you've seen kind of the trends having been in this work since 1979. W- where do you see this going? What are your hopes? Well, I think that uh, localizing our food supply, including the inputs that grow it well, are going to be forced upon us more and more as fossil mm-hmm. fuels, which drive our uh, food supply, um, become more and more pricey. So people are going to have to become very creative, and I think that a lot more local education in terms of just getting people to understand what they could do with their own garden. Uh, seed companies, for example, are way up 25-plus percent on sales this year under some of that uh, new influence of fuel prices. Mm. Uh, the economy is forcing people to consider gardening who have never gardened before. And it's kind of exciting, even though it's a little bit of a pinch for people. Mm. And uh, virtually every little town is doing something about uh, thinking, oh, let's have a farmer's market in our town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Monroe just addressed that uh, a few days ago. They said, we're, we're ready to do that. Um, almost every village, uh, even fairly small ones like Monroe, is seriously considering having a farmer's market or um, Jackson Brooks. I mean, these are places that usually don't even register on the map but are now seriously thinking locally that way. Mm. And, and yet, um, if you go back in time, each of those places had a, a, a vibrant agricultural economy and people were able to buy local at the, in, in earlier times. Right. Mm. In fact, uh, it's only been fairly recently in the past two or three generations that we've gotten away from that. This whole nation, especially New England, has some of the longest history of local production. And uh, we will probably rediscover that. Uh, with, a, with a seriousness that we've never had before. Great. Well, Mark, thanks for taking time out of your growing season um, to be with us on Talk of the Towns. Thank you very much for having me. Mark uh, Fulford of Teltane Farm. Um, we probably have some other callers. Um, let's take your calls and, and see where this is going. You can call us at one 866 625-9378. You're listening to Talk of the Towns, and we're talking about eating and growing local in Maine. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, Ron. This is Alan from Monroe. Great. And I would fill in with impediments to uh, what Mark was saying. Um, I attended the uh, farmer's market meeting last night here in Monroe, which we're trying to set up. And one of the impediments is that the local store said that we could have a farmer's market at their store. Uh Uh-huh. There was, we were looking for five farmers to participate. And in this setup, each one of the farmers have to have their own insurance. Ah. The store has their insurance, and the farmer's market has to have their insurance. Uh-huh. So we now have seven insurance policies to cover a small farmer's market. It seems to me as though this is going to make it hard for the farmers to survive. Mm-hmm. And it makes a circus for lawyers when they go to court if someone does get hurt. Right, right. Who's so, going to pay? So this is, a, this is a, an insurance policy for somebody who might get injured on the premises, not for the food itself. Right. Right, right. Um, that would be the farmer's part. Mm-hmm. And then there's mm-hmm. the farmer's market that's got to cover the person who might break an ankle at the market. Right. And the store, of course, has to cover itself. And we have to keep in mind that the farmers themselves, as well as the customers, may not have health insurance in this state. Mm-hmm. It seems kind of 
one-sided to have coverage of seven different policies covering one farmer's market and none over health care at all. Oh, boy, you've, you've put your finger right on um, part of the problem. But what's your hope? Your hope is that you're going to have a, a farmer's market o- operating this summer? Yes. Great. Great. Well, again, the, the, the policy issues are, are certainly large, um, and it's probably going to be coming about just as the caller about food stamps and, and uh, local products. Um, we're going to have to collectively think about how to change some of the, the policies. Yes. Well, thanks for your call this morning. Thank you. You're listening to Talk of the Towns on WERU, and you can participate by calling 1-866-625-9378. In the studio, we have Fran Clemenson, her sons Clayton, Timmy, and Willie, and Chrissy Fowler here in the studio. Um, But you may have a call or or a question about eating local, growing local. Um, What are some of the policy questions that that you've thought about through your reading group or through the local challenge, um, some of these barriers that folks have been mentioning, whether they're food stamps or insurance. Did, did you come across other things that you'd like to have changed in either in your community or at the state level? Um, what, what's getting in the way of more people eating local, do you suppose? Well, one, one thing, I remember one stunning statistic from one of the books that we were reading. I think it was Bringing the Food Economy Home. Um, there was this astonishing statistic that in England, in this given year, they had imported so many gallons of milk and they had exported the exact same (laughs) amount and so i think one of the pieces of mindset that we have to work on is um that notion of are we are we eating are are we are we providing a market for things that we could very well grow ourselves Mm. so for example um i i have no trouble with eating a banana you know buying a banana because i can't grow bananas in Mm -hmm. maine um but it pains me personally a bit more to buy apples from New Zealand mm. when I know that there are great apple growers mm-hmm. right in my same county. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I think that just that mindset uh, as um, – I don't remember if it was Mark or if it was Erica that talked about how we've gotten into this culture. We've gotten into this habit as consumers, as people who eat, of eating out of season. Mm. And mm. so eating – you know, craving strawberries in February um, – if you if you can't if if it's hard to um if it's hard to let go of that then it's going to be really challenging to eat locally um mm. for me there's some sort of ecstasy that happens when you wait and wait and wait and then finally you're out there and there's mountains of strawberries and you just eat them and eat them <laughs> like a wild bear and um there's something delightful about that you know holding off that little bit of deferred uh-huh. um so you're, yeah. you're saying that the, the policy changes that really need to happen are inside us. I guess that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that, that I, and I think that Mark is right, too, when he says that a lot of this is consumer-driven mm. and that when, when people as individuals and, and collectively make decisions about how they want to be eating and how they want to be fed and what they want to consume, that there's a lot of power in that. And we've seen it in the organic movement, and I really feel like we're seeing it in the local food movement as well. Mm. Great. Let's see what another of our listeners has to say. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, this is Heather from Monroe. We have a strong Monroe contingent this morning. Um, I really like the comments um, that were just made. And, um, you know, we have a a statistic about UK exporting as much milk as it imported. And, you know, among growers, when you're trying to get, you know, people to start businesses, you're saying, think about export markets. I mean, this is Mm. sort of the whole... Um, economic model that has been taught for years and years. And um, in terms of 
you know, I think we should start talking more in terms of exporting to your local community. And I think the local food movement and what the co-op and others around are doing to promote it is wonderful. And But I'm wondering if, you know, I was at Hannaford this morning because I couldn't get one thing I wanted at the co-op. Um, I, how much Hannaford is probably doing a much more much stronger business overall than the co-op, and that's the majority of the community in a place like Belfast. How do we expand the local food movement there a little bit more? Um, and I wonder if, um, if anybody knows if um, some of the larger supermarket chains are um, buying more local produce or other, um, other goods. We can we can certainly try to um, find that out for a, f- a future show, but that certainly is um, if consumers are demanding it, then the stores are going to provide it. Um, the, I, I know representatives of both Shaw's and Hannaford's have talked about some of the difficulties of getting an adequate supply because, of course, they've got a larger um, uh, group that they're selling to, and so to be able to guarantee that they're going to have fresh green beans in the store for everybody, um, that becomes a challenge. And so it's the same with, with local fish. We've got great fish off of the coast, but it often goes to Boston, gets kind of packaged, and enough of it comes back to feed us. So we have a, a skewed system based on cheap transportation, um, and we may see some changes, as, as uh, Mark said. <laughs> um, we may have to learn, relearn um, the, the basic lessons. Uh, Chrissy, some response to this caller? Well, I just, uh, just to add on to what you were saying, Ron, I think part of it is also economy of scale. So, mm-hmm. for example, Shaw's and Hannaford feel like they can't get an adequate supply. Um, but I know, uh, like at the co-op, sometimes there might not be an adequate. When Troy Howard Middle School brings their produce in, it's like you know bees to bees to the flowers. <laughs> People go zooming over, and it doesn't last that long. But but boy, what a gift that it is! Um, and and to, and even even encouraging larger stores to adopt that model mm-hmm. of saying, well, you don't have to have enough to have it every second, mm-hmm. but if you have enough, it will sell because there is that consumer demand. So maybe even educating them to change their pol- their thinking about how they stock their produce might be a, a step. Right, and then um, with uh, community-supported agriculture, making the connection directly to the farmer and said, this, <laughs> this is what my food demand is in the year. Can you supply that demand? And then you've got a direct relationship, um, consumer to uh, producer, and that's probably the way it used to work before there were stores um, <laughs> brought into the process. Well, thanks for your call this morning. Okay, we have time for um, one or two more calls. If, if you'd like to give us a call this morning, one 625 in Maine. Well, as we um, kind of wrap up the show, what are some of your hopes? And and you, um, Clayton and, and Timmy, you think about what you would want to tell people about your hopes for the future of, of growing local. Um, but maybe we'll, we'll start with Chrissy. What, what, are, what do you hope coming out of all this? Uh, you, you've been at it for probably more than a year, but the, the idea of the, of the Eat Local Challenge, what are your hopes that this will, this will happen in the future? Well, I, for me personally, I hope that it, there's uh, continues to be growth and exposure, um, uh, both in the public um, and also among the the folks who are are involved in the infrastructure. As Fran said, it would be really great if there were increasing pieces of infrastructure that would support that local food economy. It's a really there's such a wealth of of uh, food and um, and other local resources out there that it would be terrific if there could be increased infrastructure sh- infrastructure to support that so that more people could um, directly benefit from it. Mm. So th- those are my hopes, continued mm-hmm. growth and, and sustaining it. Yeah. 
Clayton, speak right into the microphone there. Um, what, what, what would you hope? Um, you know, you're a young person growing up. Um, as you get to be an adult, what would you like to see in terms of food and, and, and that sort of thing locally? Is that a hard question? That's all right. That's mm -hmm. a hard question. Yeah. Any, any other thoughts about, you know, where you want to see this whole Eat Local Challenge go? Go ahead. I hope that a lot of the um, restaurants and stuff are starting to get more local stuff. Uh-huh. So that you have a choice when you go out to eat, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. That's a great idea. Anything more to add, Clayton? Um, yeah, it, it does. Well, I don't know. I, not really. I okay. Don't. <laughs> Fran, what, what, what are your hopes? Um, you, as you've kind of seen this, this um, flow over the last year or so um, from kind of starting with the book club and getting a little frustrated with the policy, but then taking some action. What, what are your hopes? Uh, my, my main hope is that individuals, people um, feel empowered to do what they can and not wait for policy changes and not wait for the corporations to make local food available for them and the government and whatnot to, to see what they can do themselves and their family. What can you do? on the most base local level. Start with your family, look at your community, and if you have the energy, organize in the broader community in, in, your, in your county um, with folks and see what they're doing because there's a lot going on, and, and the more people that get involved and reach out, the better. Mm. And that seems like that was your experience. Um, Definitely. Not waiting for somebody else to do it, but you guys picking it up and saying, we can do this. Mm -hmm. Great. Great. Well, thanks so much for being with us on Talk of the Towns. Thank you. Thank Ron. you, too. Thanks for doing the program. Sure. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With the offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our late radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us on the second and fourth Friday at this time for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland Music recording. Thanks again to our guests, uh, Fran Clemenson, her sons Clayton, Timmy, and Willie. Um, she's with the Belfast Co-op, as is Erica Buswell. Erica was with us by phone, and she's part of the management team there. Chrissy Fowler of Belfast Flying Shoes was with us. She was one of the organizers of, of the Eat Local Challenge. Mark Fulford joined us from Teltane Farm by phone. Thanks to all of you for being our guests here on Talk of the Towns. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Wing. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning.